Lord, each and every one of us could have been born in 961 A.D. or 1450 A.D., but you decided that we would be born into this world in the 20th century and in the 21st century, some of us. Lord, you determine the seasons, the places in which we live. You have put us here where we are for your mission, your purposes. And Lord God, you have given us your word, your authoritative, inspired, inerrant word. And what a privilege it is for us to open it together each Sunday morning and learn of you and learn from you. Spirit, come and wield your word in our hearts and minds, I pray in the name of Jesus, that we would be strengthened, encouraged, transformed as your people as later we go out into the world. Give us your wisdom, we pray, O God. And may you be glorified and lifted high and made famous in this place and in Montreal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to come along with me to Eugene's house. Inside this house, Eugene is getting ready for the 10-minute walk to his job interview. Eugene steps out of his house. His pants are freshly pressed. He's wearing a cotton sweater. Eugene, if you can see his face there, he looks rather happy and rather confident. But then his countenance changes because storm clouds move in and it begins to rain very heavily. Now, since Eugene can't afford to take Uber to his interview, and since he has no bus tickets or change for the bus, he has to walk through the rain to the interview. And of course, by the time he gets to the interview, Eugene's cotton sweater is going to be sopping wet. Eugene doesn't have a raincoat. All he has is this sweater, and it's going to end up getting sopping wet. Not a great look for his interview. And so what does Eugene decide to do? Well, Eugene decides that he will go back inside his house very upset about the rain. So I don't know, can you see his face? There is Eugene by his window, angry at the weather, frustrated because he's missing his interview. There are many in this room, perhaps most in this room, and by the way, we welcome Pastor John and his family from Rosedale. It's good to have you with us this morning. Many in this room, perhaps most, who are believers in Jesus Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know, don't we, that our citizenship is in heaven. Yes? But right now, we also live as citizens in Canada. We live in the culture. We live in a society that by and large rejects Christ and lives by a different set of values. Now, let's say the rain falling from the sky in our diagram represents the worldly values the godless worldview or the God-denying 
priorities of Canadian culture that, that we live in right now. And all of that stuff is driving down on us every day like heavy rain. And we believers are Eugene. Most of us don't have red pants, but just pretend for a minute. So we can simply walk wearing the cotton sweater, soaking in all of those cultural values, those God-denying priorities. We can simply allow ourselves to be uncritically soaked to the bone in what the culture insists and just let it all saturate us and soak us. Not an ideal option. Just as it was not an ideal option for Eugene on his way to the interview. But listen, the other option is also not ideal. The other option is to retreat from the rain like Eugene did, to retreat from the culture as much as we possibly can, hide ourselves away from it where we can, shake angry fingers at it, stew about all the evils and the troubles that we see all around us. There is a better way. There is a better way, Christians. We leave Eugene now. I'm going to go back one. Oh, back several. We leave Eugene now and we go to our next passage, if you have your Bible, to the book of Daniel. This passage gives us the better way. When the society in which we live rains down on us with godless values, godless norms, godless priorities, what is a wise posture for us to take as believers? Well, let's go eagerly eagerly to the word of God, and let's have him teach us. We begin at Daniel 1, verse 3. We said last week, Nebuchadnezzar is the fresh face on the Babylonian throne, and as the fresh face on the throne, he is asserting his power in the region. Then the king, boy, this thing wants to jump ahead of me today. There it is, okay. Then the king, so this is King Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, or probably better, Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, as the NASB has rendered it. Nebuchadnezzar commanded his right-hand man, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, so Nebuchadnezzar directs Ashpenaz to go fetch really what was the cream of the crop in Israel, those born nobly. You know, there is a Jewish rabbinic tradition that sees this verse as the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7, where God told King Hezekiah, that some who would be born in Hezekiah's lineage would be carted off to Babylon to serve there. So it's at least possible that the people Nebuchadnezzar requests here in verse 3, which by the way includes Daniel and his three friends, it's, it's at least possible that they were descendants of King Hezekiah. 
Nebuchadnezzar's aim here is to do what? Is to both weaken Judah by taking the star players, the McDavid's, off the team. Sorry, Montreal Canadiens fans. You know I'm from Edmonton. (laughs) To take the star players off the team in Judah and strengthen Babylon at the same time by having them come over to Babylon. Ashpenaz, go fetch these people, people of the royal family and of the nobility. And there's a further description. Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. So Nebuchadnezzar, notice this, he wants the cream of the crop, doesn't he? He wants people who are valedictorian material. He wants captains of football teams. He wants debate club champions. As Dale Ralph Davis has put it, they must have status, looks, brains, and presence. Status, looks, brains, and presence. They must be intellectually and physically impressive specimens. Now this verse is rather tantalizing, friends, tantalizing in a way because it echoes three other places in the Old Testament. Let's look at this. So remember when Joseph found himself serving the foreign house of Egypt? And Joseph was described in Genesis 39.6 as handsome in form and appearance. Okay, Joseph was a hottie. Nebuchadnezzar is now demanding youths of good appearance to serve in the foreign house of Babylon. We're reminded, of course, then of the Joseph story here. Might there be a parallel between Daniel, his three friends, and Joseph? Stay tuned. Secondly, the words, without blemish. These words remind us automatically of Leviticus 21 and Leviticus 22. Listen, where God insists that both priests in Israel and the sacrifices that are offered by those priests be without blemish. God insisted on unblemished priests and sacrifices in his house. And now this pagan human king, Nebuchadnezzar, is insisting on having unblemished people in his house. And so automatically now there seems to be this subtle clash of sovereignties that is being presented here. God with his insistence on the unblemished for his holy purposes and little human Nebuchadnezzar insisting on unblemished youths for his proud human purposes. And then the third allusion in this verse is of course to the book of Proverbs. Now, if you've read Proverbs, you'll know that all these terms here, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, these are terms that appear frequently in Proverbs, and they describe things that are very highly valued. And of course, in Proverbs, they are closely related with the fear of the Lord and with turning aside from evil. 
We know as we read the story of Daniel that the terms here in verse 4 are ultimately describing who? Daniel and his three friends who are selected by Ashpenaz to be brought to Babylon. So that these four young men already notice in the text, already they are being characterized here as wise, as endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning. Now, remember how we compared the rain that was threatening to fall on Eugene with the godless values of the wider society that rained down on us as people of the Word. Well, here comes the rain. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar's program for these youths that he is now extracting out of their native land, out of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar will implement a social re-engineering program on these youths who now find themselves in Babylonian society. The first part of Nebuchadnezzar's reprogramming program is described now at the end of verse 4. These Judean youths will be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The literature and language of the Chaldeans. That word Chaldeans in Daniel refers to a class of so-called wise men in Babylon. These guys advise their king, the Chaldeans. So the youths extracted from Israel, brought to Babylon, would now be compelled, hello Canadians, would now be compelled to read the books, the right books, the books that these Babylonian wise men are reading. They would be forced to learn the language of these Babylonians, which is going to include at least the ancient languages of Aramaic and Akkadian. Akkadian, in particular, was a far more complicated language than the Hebrew that these youths would have known. It would have been a significant challenge to learn Akkadian. Akkadian had an involved system of literally hundreds of very complicated symbols. They had to learn the language. And what sort of literature, what sort of literature are we talking about here that these youths are now compelled to learn? Well, on the positive side, on the positive side, this Babylonian culture of this day had made some very great and fantastic discoveries and advancements in the fields of astronomy and mathematics and early science. And so these youths, as they learn this, they're going to benefit from all of that. But on the negative side, there was the fact that these Babylonians with their literature, this literature was also riddled with honor to the many gods of its culture. It would also include instruction in the magic practices of the culture. This literature also would have had 
detailed descriptions of astrological practices since the Babylonians were particularly fascinated with astrology. This literature also would have included instruction in something called hepatoscopy. There's a mouthful for Sunday morning, hepatoscopy, which the Babylonians practiced. What was hepatoscopy? It was the reading of the liver of a sheep, a sacrificed sheep. They believed that the shape of a sheep's liver, for example, could be an omen of a future event of some kind. The literature also would have included instruction in the interpretation of dreams and in other forms of divination, like the reading of star patterns, and the reading of weather events to predict the future. Now friends, say you're 15 or 16 and you're living happily in Israel. And suddenly a foreign army swoops in and removes you from your homeland and brings you to theirs and insists that you learn all of this stuff. I think at 15 or 16 especially, you might be tempted simply to rebel, right? To say, forget, forget this. There's no way that I'm going to do this. For one thing, this material that I am supposed to learn is absolutely contradictory to everything that I learned from my Hebrew Bible and from the rabbis who taught me all around me as I grew up. I think it's very fair to say that Daniel and his three friends, all in their teens, would have wrestled very seriously with what to do here. Would they be like Eugene, sitting at his window, raging against what was in front of them, refusing to engage it altogether, and so likely risk being executed? Or would they simply give in wholeheartedly, absorb everything that was thrown at them like Eugene's cotton sweater, let it all change them as individuals so that inwardly now they actually became Babylonian? Well, it turned out that they did neither. They did neither. There was a third path that they took, and we're going to call it the raincoat path. They wore their raincoat. Listen, friends, they went into the rain. They didn't retreat from the rain, but they also didn't wholeheartedly absorb the rain. They didn't refuse. They did not refuse this first stage of Nebuchadnezzar's reprogramming program. Sure, we will learn Akkadian and we will learn Aramaic. Sure, we will study your Babylonian omen texts and your sheep liver interpretation manuals. We will engage your astrology charts and your divination instructions and all those descriptions of your magic practices. Now listen carefully, my friends. It was one thing to learn 
about all of that stuff, become conversant with it, understand it, it was another thing to buy into it and to practice it. I'll say that one more time. It was one thing to learn about all that stuff, become conversant with it, understand it. It was another thing to buy into it and to begin to practice it. We can learn, friends, Christian friends, we can learn in detail the ideologies, the values, the positions of our wider Babylon while inwardly we remain committed citizens of heaven. Yes? Strengthened by the Lord. He's alive. Strengthened by the Lord. Steeped insistently in His Word. Accessing His wisdom. Wearing our raincoat. Now this is a university town. Christian university students, and in fact, Christian students of all levels and ages, you'll need to make sure that you are wearing your raincoat as you go ahead and you engage your schooling. I know that it can be very, very difficult in many situations, but I encourage you today to not compromise your Christian faith as the rain is pouring down, but also don't retreat from the rain altogether. Go out with your raincoat on. You know the Word of God is living and active and powerful, that the Lord is alive and more powerful than any ideology? Go with your raincoat on, trusting in the Lord, staying in His Word, being secure in Him, asking His wisdom, asking for clear discernment. Lord, would You give me clear discernment here? Asking for His presence, His help as you read, as you study, as you write papers and exams, as you talk to teachers and talk to professors, and always remember to be in regular fellowship with other believers. But don't be afraid to engage the rain. Remember Daniel. Remember that as Daniel and his friends studied all of that stuff, what did it do? It helped them to know and understand the shapes, the contours of Babylonian thinking and culture so that they could be effective witnesses on the inside of that culture. It helps us to know the shapes, the contours, the philosophies of current Western thinking in order for us to witness effectively here. And bear in mind, John Wesley once argued this, bear in mind that it helps actually to train your mind when you think on, when you study areas like geometry, music, physics, literature, history. Thinking on such things has the, the happy effect of enhancing your intellectual ability to comprehend theological themes and scriptural patterns. Well, let's go to verse 5 now, which gives us the 
second part of Nebuchadnezzar's reprogramming program. First stage, language and literature. Now the second stage. The king assigned them a daily portion of the Babylonian food that the king ate, the caviar and the chocolate ganache, and of the wine, the chablis that he drank. Uh, what's Nebuchadnezzar doing here? Well, he's doing a couple of things. First of all, he's making these young men from Israel dependent on him, yes, for their very welfare, for their food and drink. Secondly, concurrently, he's wanting to wean these Israelite youth from their Israelite diet and get them on the Babylonian diet. He wants them to become Babylonian even in what they eat and drink. Now, will Daniel and his three friends go along <laughs> with this bit of reprogramming? Will they eat the king's food? I sound like the guy on Batman, right? Will Batman and Robin survive this? Will they eat the king's food and drink the king's wine? Well, stay tuned. I think you know the answer. If you've read the story, we're going to come to that next week. The end of verse 5 says that these forcibly transplanted Israelite youths were to be educated for three years. So this was a three-year Babylonian college program. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And then we come to verse 6. Among these, among these transplants from Israel were who? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. What we need to note carefully here, friends, is that the names for Israel's God are built in to the names of each of these young men. The L at the end of Daniel and Mishael is a Hebrew word that means God. And the Yah at the end of both Hananiah and Azariah is the Yah part of Yahweh, God of Israel. So in the very names of these kids, there is honor to the true God of the universe. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. The name Mishael means who is what God is. And the name Azariah means Yahweh is a helper. So the worship and the honor of Israel's God is built into all four of these names. But what happens? Well, along with the Babylonian re-education program, the new diet that was being put into place, the four of these young men are now renamed. They're renamed. The goal was to erase their very Israelite identities and assign them new Babylonian names. 
And this is the third part of Babylon's reprogramming effort. Verse seven, and the chief of the eunuchs or the chief official gave them names. Now understand this. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, to name somebody is to exercise authority. Adam named the animals, yes? Which was a demonstration of Adam's dominion over the animals. Pharaoh renamed Joseph, showing off the authority that he thought he had over Joseph. God renames Abram and Sarai in a demonstration of his proper divine authority and notably God names himself in Exodus chapter 3 because there is no higher authority to do the naming of God than God. So this was an ancient Near Eastern pattern. To name was to exercise authority. Babylon renames these four young men showing off the authority that they presumed to have that they presumed to have over these teenagers. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So these four young men suddenly have to answer when their new names are called. This is a very personal wound that is inflicted here by Babylon. To have your very name changed. And these new names include references, of course, don't they, to the Babylonian gods. One of the Babylonian gods was named Bel, and Daniel is named Bel Tishazar. Another Babylonian moon god was named Aku. And the Ak sound at the end of Shadrach and Meshach probably refers to Aku, the moon god. Another Babylonian god was Nebo. Nebo with a B. And Azariah is renamed Abednego, which we think might be a purposeful corruption by the Jewish writer of this story. Nego instead of Nebo, because we just can't stomach the name of the Babylonian god Nebo being attached to this faithful young Jewish man, so we will change it in the text to Nego instead of Nebo. Notice once again, friends, these four They have to use the names that Babylon has assigned them, but they are used to the names of Israel's one true God being built into their their original names. But now they find themselves here with these names, with all these multiple false gods of Babylon being built in. Do you think this would be hard to take? I think it would be. But what was their reaction to this forced name change, we notice in the story that they did not resist it. The changing of their names was big, 
But it was not a battle that they would decide to fight. They went along with it. Daniel would respond when his new name, Belteshazzar, was called in class. And Daniel knew at the same time, though, didn't he? He knew inside that he was still Daniel. And Mishael remained Mishael, despite having to respond to the name Meshach, and so on and so forth. This was not a hill to die on for these young men. They accepted the name changes. They accepted the forced Babylonian education. Roll was called each morning. Belteshazzar, here. Shadrach, here. And then they went ahead and they learned about the patterns of birds flying in the air and how to read them supposedly to predict the future. They went ahead each day and they gained understanding about the supposed function of each of the Babylonian gods. And when Meshach and Abednego were called upon in class to present their group assignment on Akkadian syntax, they came forward and they presented it. And if we think to ourselves right now, well, sure, they went along with the motions. They did what they had to do, but they didn't give their heart and their soul to their studies. We would be very wrong. Because later in this chapter, we're told that Daniel and his friends graduated at the very top of their class. Daniel 1.20 tells us, that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. These four young men did the work under very trying circumstances. My believing friends... Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is our posture in the Canadian culture in which we find ourselves? One option is to be like Eugene with the sweater on, just simply letting it all soak into us, uncritically absorbing, buying into what the culture is selling. A second option is to be like the other Eugene, retreating into our corner, shaking our fingers at all of it, lobbing volleys, verbal volleys against this and against that. But the third wise option on the authority of the Word of God is to take the posture of Daniel and his three friends. In the rain, but with the raincoat on. Learning and I know it's not easy, learning the values, the contours, the errors, the triumphs, the pitfalls of of the Western culture that we find ourselves in, while seeking God and trusting Him and depending on Him for His wisdom and His ability to make us into intelligent witnesses. We go ahead and learn, for example. We learn about critical theory. Or about the secular, materialistic worldview that is all around us. We learn about evolutionary theory. 
all the while pleading with God for His wisdom, His discernment, His help. Lord, thank You for this opportunity to understand what the culture believes even though I don't believe it. Thank You that I am gaining knowledge even though it is very difficult at times. Knowledge that's going to help me become a better witness for You in this culture in which You have placed me. So much of what I'm learning, Lord, is specifically designed to alienate me from You but I know You are more powerful. Lord God, You will keep me safe. Protect my mind. Protect my heart from compromise to the praise of Your glory. I remain Yours. And thank You, Lord, that each and every Sunday I get to go again and again and be with my brothers and sisters and celebrate together our true citizenship, which is in heaven. Daniel and his three friends experienced a massive change, didn't they? A massive change when God allowed them to be brought from Judah over to Babylon. Everything was different. Jesus, our Lord, experienced a massive change when His Father brought Him from heaven to earth to take on human flesh. We have been experiencing massive changes in our society. We've we've been experiencing tectonic shifts. Our Lord Jesus fully understands, doesn't He, the exile from our true home that we often feel as believers. Jesus came from heaven to enter into our fragmented, sin-sick world And not until after His sacrificial death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead did He return to heaven to take His rightful place at the right hand of the Father. He is with us now. Did you know that? He is with us now, having promised to never leave us or forsake us. He is coming back for us, my believing friends. Our exile is going to be over. And we will one day be in our eternal home with Him. I assure you by the very authority of the Word of God that it's coming. But for now, He's given us His raincoat, hasn't He? His revelatory Word, His Holy Spirit, eternal life, 24-7 access to the throne because of what Jesus has done. And He's given us His church. Just as He prayed in John 17 for the original disciples that they not be taken out of the world just yet, but kept from the evil one, yes, sanctified by the truth, His Word is truth, so He is praying for you and I in 2023. So this week, my encouragement to you is to go prayerfully, go courageously into the world with your raincoat on, with your armor on, cooperating but not compromising, like Daniel. Go into the world presenting your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's go to prayer. Our Father in heaven, there are portions and sections of your word that rattle us sometimes, wake us up from slumber. I think this is one of them. Lord, we thank you for inspiring this book of Daniel. We continue to pray as we go through this series that you will be our teacher, that you will lead us in your wisdom and make us people of your word who are obedient to you. I pray, Lord, for each and every student here today that your raincoat would be very apparent to them this week. Your spirit drawing alongside close. Your word coming into their remembrance. Your courage, your boldness, your help. Remembering their true citizenship is in heaven. Lord God, you are so good to us and so faithful toward, toward us. And we thank you for this time that we've had to be in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.